Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. It is just Mike today. It's solo, solo voyage here. Connor is up at Hume Lake with a group of 72 leaders and kids uh, this week and we're praying for them for the word to have its uh, way in their hearts and for God to use the relationships, the prayer, the preaching all to uh, do his work. But today what I want to do is answer some questions that I've received recently. And there are four questions, and I think I'm just going to take them one by one. Now, I got this question yesterday, and I've written up an answer, and I didn't uh, send it to the person yet. So I'm even going to tell them, hey, by the way, here's my answer, but also it's on the podcast, okay? And so the other three are questions that I've just fielded recently from people that you know, we were you know, meeting one-on-one and just answer their question. So let's just start with the first. And the first question is this, what does husband of one wife mean? What does husband of one wife mean? So that takes us uh, to first Timothy and chapter three. And it's, it's in the the context of, you know, uh, elders and, and actually uh, deacons. So you've got in, in first Timothy three, verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. He goes on to say, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And I, and I go all the way to verse 5 because part of my answer really encompasses verse 5 as well. And so let's answer this question. What does it mean, husband of one wife? And you'll notice, too, that where we are in, um, in, in the deacon's qualifications in verse 12 of the same chapter, let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well, which kind of encompasses what uh, 1 Timothy uh, 3, 2 and verse 5 says, kind of all together. So we're going to go ahead and take that. So what does it mean? Because now, first of all, it can mean different things, and that's why the question comes up. A lot of people are like, well, what does it mean? Some people say it means elders must be married. Okay, so there's one view. Another is you can't be a polygamist. You can't have you know, multiple wives. Uh, some take it to mean elders can marry only once. And then some take it, and I think this is the preferred view. I'm going to give the answer, you know, bottom line on top here. Elders must be above reproach in their marriage and sexuality. So, maritally and sexually above reproach. And the idea, if you think about the phrase, husband of one wife, in the Greek, it's one woman man. Interestingly, three other times in the New Testament, you see the phrase wife of one man, which is a similar thing. So the husband of one wife, the related phrase is wife of one man, occurs four times in the New Testament. Uh, But each context is in the qualification of um, overseers, deacons, or widows. So the wife of one man is in the context of widows. So you've got, again, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 2, uh, husband of one wife, the overseer, the elder, and then 
1 Timothy 3.12, deacons, husband of one wife. And then you've got 1 Timothy 5.9, let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old and having been the wife of one man. So you've got that. And Titus, by the way, Titus says the same thing, Titus 1.6, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children, believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So the husband of one wife phrase comes from uh, three words in the Greek, one woman man. That's why it's literally one woman man. Now, woman can also be translated wife, and man can be translated husband. So you, you have that there too. So um, the reason I believe it's the husband of one wife, and let me just get to some more of my notes here. Uh, variety of understandings on these verses. What God's intending people to put into practice is really that in the context, it's a call for uh, faithfulness in marriage. And uh, historically, it's pretty widespread that it's a one-woman man. But here's the deal. Uh, what Someone will say, but what if, what if a believer divorces? That doesn't make him a one-woman man anymore. So can he not be an elder? And the answer would be yes, he can't be an elder. Why? It takes you to verse 5 of 1 Timothy uh, 3, where it says he should manage his household well. And, and getting a divorce is, is proof, whether it's his fault or not, it always, you know, it's, it's, I always say it's a, it takes two to tango here. So it's, it doesn't matter whose fault, uh, it's everybody's fault, you know. Uh, it means that you didn't manage your household well. So, but then there's the question, but what if a, what if a, a Christian's wife, what if a Christian man's wife dies? Well, if a Christian man's wife dies, he's now, can he get remarried? Yes. Does that mean he can't be an elder because he's the husband of now a second wife? No, that's not what it means. So in that setting, it's one wife at a time if we're talking about um, being a widower, okay? But if we're talking about divorce, it's, it's one wife. Now, what about if you were divorced as an unbeliever, okay? Plenty of uh, men in ministry were divorced as an unbeliever and, and sometimes become elders and deacons in churches. I'm not really going to go there too much because I don't, I, it doesn't say anything in this passage about marriage and divorce, okay? But if you go then to verse 4, if you go to 1 Timothy 3, 4, again, managing the household well, so 4 and 5, manage the household well with all dignity. The thing is, is that a divorced man gives no evidence of a well-managed home. A divorce shows weakness in his spiritual leadership. Now, what if there was a biblically permitted divorce? Okay, um, one. Let me say. Let me say what John MacArthur says about it. Okay, I'm going to quote John MacArthur. We're going to rest on him on this one. Uh, it must have been so far in the past as to have been overcome by a long pattern of solid family leadership and the rearing of godly children. That's how he put it. So again, I'm not going to answer that question. Every every local church's elder group needs to make those 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 calls because there's a there's a, um, a wide divergence at times. Okay, at Grace Church of Orange, uh, if a man has been divorced, we would not make him an elder. That does not cast any dispersion on anyone anywhere who may have been divorced in the past. Uh, only God knows. We're not the judge of hearts. Um, but what we would say is that if someone's a believer and they've been divorced, that does preclude them from being an elder, serving an elder in the church. But if you're a believer whose uh, wife dies and you're an elder 
or or you're not an elder, but you 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 you've been a widower and then you got remarried and then the church calls on you to be an elder, that's permissible. That's what we would say. So one woman, man, and again various understandings. Um, but but for example, if someone's an adulterer, uh, no, they're not qualified to be an elder. Um, and again, if they, um, it's it's kind of tricky, uh, especially what if a believer was married to an unbeliever and unbelieving abandons and all that. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that. It's just, it means one woman, man, and let's move on to the next question. Okay. Second question, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? That's a question that a lot of people who are not married, obviously, ask. And what I go there with usually is I ask them another question. They ask me a question, I ask them a question. So tell me, what are your desires? Do you want to be married at some point in the future? And if the person says to me, yes, I have a desire to be married. And we're talking biblical marriage between a man and a woman. And usually, these are always men that I'm talking with. I meet with the men in the church quite often. And uh, they'll ask, a young single guy uh, will ask, especially if they're getting, you know, into their late 20s or early 30s. And sometimes they think, oh no, you know, it's too late to get married. And I'm like, just relax. God's timing is perfect in everyone's life. How do I know if I have the gift of singleness? And so, really that one litmus test question, do you have desire to be married? Or are you content? Now, here's the thing. We always say you have to be content in everything, right? And Philippians 4 is one of those places I love to go where Paul is, is saying this in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And he's talking about the church helping him and assisting him in his ministry, supporting them, even financially. He says, though not, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in. Now it's going to run the gamut. In whatever situation I'm in, to be content. And the interesting thing about the word content, it, it doesn't mean you just sit there and just oh, you know, whatever. It, it's really, it's, it's a different kind of word there, that word in uh, Philippians 4.11. And the idea is more along the lines of, um, how would I put it? Um, uh, you, you're going to, listeners, you're going to go, what? To be self-sufficient. You're like, okay, hold on, time out. You're not supposed to be self-willed or uh, our, Christ is our sufficiency. Christ is our adequacy. Why? How would it mean self-sufficiency? Okay, here's how. Okay, so you take the word and it means inwardly you don't have a desire for something outward outside yourself. Okay, so you're not saying... As a man, I have a wife. I need a wife to complete me. Remember that? that what's that movie? Um, Jerry Maguire. You know, you complete me. I think is what he said. And most of us would go, "Oh, come on, that's cheesy." But but there isn't a, a sense when when God brings a man and woman together and they become one in marriage. There is a completing aspect. But you should. I tell everyone, you should be content in your singleness. And people will ask that question: Are you content in your singleness? And I think you should be able to be that. But I think there should also be room for a, a discontent in your singleness. What I mean by that is if you're content in your singleness, you don't feel the need to be married. But if you have a desire to be married, there's a, I'm going to say, a appropriate 
discontent where you say, you know, I really do want a wife. And, you know, as the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, okay? It's a gift from the Lord. And so, you know, and you go back to Genesis, you know, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, literally cling to, stick like glue, and the two shall become one flesh. And, and it's, you receive God's gift for you. But if you aren't going to get married, okay, you receive God's gift of singleness. Now, here's another thought. Let's say you really want to be married. Your desires are to be married. I think of uh, Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And the idea that, that I like to bring out there is that God will give you the right desires. Not that he'll give you the Lamborghini that you want, okay? But God will give you the right desires. And that he will grant uh, those desires. In fact, we're coming up on a prayer I'm preaching in a couple weeks on... Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, where God is going to des uh, grant desires uh, for goodness. Even earlier in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about it. But here's the thing. If you get to the point, beloved, where you say, I really want to be married, and it's not going to happen. You, you see it, and you, it just doesn't happen. Let's say, let's say that you have desired to be married, and you are an older Christian adult right now. Then that means that God has given you a gift that isn't according to your will. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done or thy will be done, Lord, what you're saying is, I am willing for my will to be undone, that my, my will doesn't have to be done. And so while it's uncomfortable, let me take you back to Philippians 4. And here I am, a married man. I've been married 31 years. So I have five children and uh, actually seven children because, uh, because uh, I have two. I have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And uh, some people say daughter in love and son in love, whatever. They're, they're my kids. I consider them all my kids. And uh, I call them son and daughter, you know. And I love it when they call me dad. Uh, I don't force them to call me dad, but I kind of like it when they call me dad, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing that here I am, you could say, well, you know, you have what I don't have. Well, I got married when I was 28, pushing 29. There were many years where I thought, Lord, where's my wife? There was never a time when I didn't desire to be married, even as a young kid. I remember as a young kid being at, a, at the Cerritos Mall with my mom. We lived in Downey growing up in Downey, California. My dad was a policeman in Los Angeles. My mom stayed home with us three kids, my, an older sister, a younger sister. And every once in a while, we'd go to like a mall or a store and, you know, I would be so bored because I'd have to go into girls' shops because I was the only boy. And uh, boy, that was, you know, torture. But anyway, but I love my mom and my sisters. But the thing is, we were at Cerritos Mall, and I remember sitting there, I don't know, we sat there, we were right outside the cheese on a stick store. I can't remember if we got some of that, but I always wanted some of that. And there was a gal and a guy, they were probably in their early 20s, it was like a young married couple. And I still remember this vividly, that she turned to him and said, you know, I love you, Michael, or something like that. And his name was Michael, just like my name. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't wait till that's me, where, where like I'll be married. And, you know, it's like as a kid, you know? And so I don't know. Uh, but there were plenty of times where I'm like, Lord, where's my wife? You know, and you can't hurry love. Okay, now I'm quoting old songs. Uh, but you can't rush God's work. God knows the timing. I know people that got married in their 40s, even in their 50s. You know, it's just, it's God time. God's time for everyone in their life. So, 
How do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Here's how you know. Let me just bottom line it and get on to the last two questions. You know if you have the gift of singleness because you remain single your whole life and you don't get married. Or you do not have the desire to be married and you're okay with that and you know you can serve Christ with, you know, with that undistracted devotion to the Lord as Paul told the Corinthians. But God bless you either way. I'm praying for, really I pray for all all believers that, that God would put them in the, in the station he wants them to be in and they would be happy about it. They would be content and blessed in that, in that condition. Okay, another question I've received recently, and this is just a simple one, but where can I serve in the church? I've had so many people ask me this question. Where can I serve in the church? And you know what I ask when I tell them all the time? And if you know me, you've already answered it. Love Jesus and do as you please. Do whatever you want, and except you don't get to preach on Sunday. I get to preach on Sunday. No, and, and like, for example, don't make yourself an elder. Uh, what I mean is this, uh, and this is really, uh, if, you, if you look in 1 Peter 4, if you have your Bible with you, or I'll read it for you. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, manifold grace. And the way he works the gifts out in our lives is, looks different in everyone's life. Even if, like, like I, I, I marvel at the gift of preaching and teaching and how it comes out differently through the personality of each man that I hear preach and teach. But here, here it is. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that every, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So there it's like, hey, we're not even going to name the gifts. Just if you have a speaking gift, just, just do it with all your strength. If you have... If you have a serving gift, do it with the strength God supplies. So if you have a speaking gift, speak God's word. If you have a serving gift, serve with God's strength. Anyway, um, I would just say, if, if, how do you, what, can, what can you do in the church? Do what you'd like. Talk to one of your pastors or elders. Talk to a good friend and say, what do you think would be good? And maybe you have a different idea. You say, what, could we do this kind of ministry or that kind of ministry? Go talk about it and team up with some fellow believers, you know, and just do whatever you want that, that, you, that you really desire to do. To And here it is, to, to uh, serve the Lord by serving others. Okay? That's it. And then my last question here. Last question, and this one has come up so many times over the years and recently a lot as well. But how do I reach my friend or my loved one that is running from God? You know, I, and I feel like sometimes people seem to be running faster than we can chase them, um, but I would take us to First Thessalonians. I've preached First Thessalonians earlier this year, and now we're in Second Thessalonians at Grace Church of Orange. But I love verse fourteen. Uh, excuse me, First uh, Thessalonians five fourteen, and we urge you, brothers. This is a strong, strong exhortation. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So be patient with your friend. Only God knows those who belong to him. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. So I would just say, look, um, you need to pray for your friend. You need to chase him down. Uh, there have been plenty of times when I knew someone who just kind of went wayward, and they pushed me away when I tried to help them. I had one friend say to me, I love him dearly, we're friends to this day, but he said to me once, he goes, um, I don't 
want to have a friendship with you if you're going to tell me that I'm wrong about about this, about Christ and, and the gospel. And I said, and I challenged him because he's the kind of friend that will tell me will tell me exactly what he thinks. And I said, you know, then we don't have a friendship. But we do have a friendship, and I know we have a friendship because you've always been very frank with me and very free to tell me what you think about everything. Please allow me that. Now, I'll be gentle. I will not push and cajole and always hammer you about it. But I believe our friendship can handle you and I sparring over where you now think you are and where I saw you once. <laughs> you know, and this was a friend who used to be a pastor and preached the gospel, and now he's not there. Now, I'm always praying for him, though. I'm praying for him and his wife and his kids that they would either come back to the Lord or come to the Lord. Um, but if you have a friend, a loved one that is running from God, I would say pursue them relationally. Don't just, you know, hit them over the head again and again with Bible verses, but pursue them relationally and, and, and bring the word. So grace and truth, okay? Um, be humble and gentle about it, but bring the word, bring the book to them. Uh, preach the word in season and out of season. Uh, there is a time that will come that people will not endure sound doctrine, that want to have their ears tickled. Tell them what they don't want to hear, but do it in a way where you... you in a sense, you grant, they grant you permission to speak into their life. And basically, be gentle with them. Uh, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, 1 Peter 3.15, but with gentleness and reverence. Uh, don't do it with any harshness. Think of the Word of God like a first aid kit, and you're bringing it to your friend that you know is messed up, and they don't realize how messed up they are. So if they're running from God, now think about this, they're running from God. They know they're running from God, okay? Anyway, those are the questions for today. Friends, listeners, I hope that this has been helpful in some way. I will say it's been helpful for me to kind of speak it out loud. And uh, I'm going to text my friend who asked me the question about what does husband of one wife mean and going to send him that answer uh, later, but also tell him, hey, by the way, it'll be on the podcast tomorrow. So anyway, uh, God bless you. We're praying for you. We love you. And see you next time on the podcast. <laughs>